Hello, good morning to you and thanks for joining us uh, again this morning. Let's just pray, shall we? Father, please open our hearts and minds, we ask, as we come and look at your word together. Lord, may your kingdom come, your will be done in our lives. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before these rather strange times, we used to be in quite a hurry, didn't we? Things had to happen pretty quickly and on time. There were lots of articles around on how to skyrocket your productivity. It all seems a long time ago. Covid-19 came along and well and truly upended the apple cart. Nowadays, if I asked you during the week what day it is, what are the chances of you getting it right, I wonder? Are you keen to get back to normal? It might be worth thinking which bits of normal you actually want to get back to. Because that life, those external things were never our refuge and strength. When our world is suddenly turned upside down, it's good for those of us who love the Lord, not just to retreat into survival mode, but to stop and step back and think and pray. Lord, what are you saying to us? What is on your heart? If we want to find this out, we need to go to him to make extra space in our lives for him. To take a long, hard gaze at the Lord Jesus, to look, to love and learn, and maybe even fall in love with him all over again. Treasuring his words and his presence, speaking with him and tune our hearts to listen and worship. I think too to immerse ourselves in the Gospels and their record of what he said and what he did. Now we'll be talking a bit about spiritual disciplines this summer. What are they for? They're not about introspection. Solitude, prayer, Bible reading, fasting, they're all about looking up, looking heavenwards. They're about making room for another. Imagine putting yourself in a posture of dependence on God, inviting him to come to you. Why would you want to do that? Well, because he's wonderful and he's beautiful and because we need to be transformed into his likeness. Now, discipleship is not a grim thing. It's looking up gladly, a warm growth of faith and love, because the one we're seeking is love itself. How can we get closer to him without love invading us all over again? And you know, love is a big deal in the kingdom of God. Remember Paul in Colossians 3, saying, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in harmony. You know that passage of 1 Corinthians 13 that's often read at weddings. Well, that kind of love really can inhabit the human heart. I don't know how you view the idea of spiritual disciplines. Is it despair thinking, oh, Mark, how much is enough? I have difficulty keeping up with every day now. May I gently say to you, wrong question. They're about it being less of you and much more of God and you being more like him. We need that 
and the people looking at us need us to look like Jesus because that's what discipleship is progressively looking like Jesus on a personal level first of all all the people around us need to see Jesus in us they know you but what they really need to say is you transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit into the likeness of Christ on a community level too now Ken's Road has a reputation for many good things gracious and compassionate things in particular we need to look like Christ we need to be able to put the phrase in the name of Jesus on everything we do. The world has very little idea what it wants to look like or where it wants to go. And it desperately needs a lead from us, a Christ-like lead. On a missional basis too, do you remember the Great Commission? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then the bit that's often uh, left out, which is teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And do not doubt that I myself will be at your elbow as you do so. We must live personally and as a community and a missional church in today's presence of the Lord Jesus. So what does biblical discipleship look like? Well, the Lord Jesus gave us lots of lovely pictures to stimulate our imagination and stir us up. He kept saying the kingdom of God is like, and here's just a few of them. First slide, please, Andy, if I may. The first one is a simple outstretched hand and Jesus saying, follow me. No, not the great and good of this world. No, not the clever and sophisticated people in this world. You, yes you, come, follow me. Not only does the Lord Jesus invite us to be his companions, but he gives the strength to come as well. I mean, doesn't it strike you as amazing that everyone in the gospel narratives just seem to leave everything and obey? Jesus invites. And when you obey him, you find strength to follow. Come and be the person God intended you to be when he made you. Who did he choose? A couple of impulsive fishermen, a dodgy tax collector for the Romans, some slightly mad sons of thunder, a covetous man who would betray him, a zealot, a couple of quiet ones. What made them get up and come? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. They watched, they listened, they were amazed and a bit in love. The whole of Christian life is about come follow me. We are invited. And that's extraordinary really when you think about who it is who's inviting us. God incarnate, the second person of the Trinity, through whom the worlds were made. And he holds out his hand to you and he says come follow me jesus is not reluctant to have you as a follower he makes good out of bad he heals he dispels the darkness he makes whole and he wants to walk hand in hand with you next slide please 
And then we have a good shepherd. I'm sure you're all familiar with the 23rd Psalm. We've been thinking quite a bit about this actually in the prayer day and the last few Sundays. Following Jesus is not just about us making Herculean efforts to measure up. We have a shepherd and he is totally committed to us. His shepherding comes straight from his heart. You might wonder, is God really interested in the details, the nitty gritty of my day to day humdrum life? Every little bit. And yes, Jesus knows all about straying, awkward, wandering sheep who commonly get themselves into situations that they can't get themselves out of. His response, total commitment to his sheep. Richard Foster has a lovely phrase, God is with his people in all their waywardness and silliness. He leads them, he feeds them. At night he lies down in the gateway of the sheep pen to keep them safe. He knows them individually and he knows their names. He speaks to them. They recognise his voice and follow him. He knows where the pastures and the streams are and he knows where the wolves are. Jesus's commitment to his people is total. Lash out at his people and you lash out at him as Saul of Tarsus found out on the way to Damascus. He gives up his life so that his sheep might live. And as Paul says, if God the Father will give us him, amazing as he is for us all, how can he fail to give, up everything, give us everything else we might need? Discipleship is not just stumbling onwards as best we can. We are in amazingly good and generous hands. Jesus's hands. Next slide, please. And then another picture that Jesus used about discipleship is a yoke. Now, you know, a yoke is a wooden thing you strap across the shoulders of two animals you want to pull together so that together you can make them more than the sum of their individual parts. Usually you yoke an older, wiser, more experienced animal with a younger, inexperienced animal. Jesus is offering to be yoked with you. He can stop you pushing your head on wisely, lagging behind, going off at tangents or wandering aimlessly. Watch him. See how he pulls the load. Watch, learn, copy. Do it all his way. Watch how the Lord Jesus lives, sleeps, prays, interacts with people of all sorts. How did he treat the rich, the poor, the outcasts, the too clever by half, the demonised, the people of little faith when he was on this earth? What delights his heart? What does he detest? Do it all his way. And until his way rather naturally becomes yours. Because he is meek and lowly of heart, he is gentle and patient with us. And the scripture says, you will find rest for your soul. You know, you never plough a lonely furrow in the kingdom of God. You're yoked to the Lord Jesus Christ. You plough together, you eat together. He guides you, teaches you very gently. He's there. What does God want? asks Micah. 
acts justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Look at the Gospels. See how he dealt with the onslaught of the darkness, physical danger, being hungry, being up against people who despised and mocked him. Like him, weep over unbelieving Jerusalem. Like him, pray and pray. Like him, be full of compassion and touch lepers. The yoke. Next slide, please. My friends, in a way, this is the most astonishing picture of all. I have not called you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. I call you friends. This is one of those sayings of Jesus that the more you turn it over in your mind, the more astonishing it appears. A friend of the Lord of glory, an intimate of the greatest man to ever walk this earth. Friends of Jesus. Remember the circumstances, as Pete's already reminded us, they're in the upper room. Jesus is about to have his last meal with them before the cross. He's going to transform the Passover celebrations and the Seder meal into a memorial to himself as the Lamb of God, a momentous thing happening in front of them. If ever there was a reason for a small voice to say, why is this night different to all other nights? This is it. And they're bickering about who's the greatest. Later, they all swear they'd die for him, as did Peter. Peter was full of confidence in himself. Well, we know where that ended up. Judas is about to take bread and wine and then go off and betray him. And all the others will run away and leave him with his enemies in Gethsemane. What a crew, eh? Rather, what an astonishing saviour. It says he loved them to the end. He got down on his knees to them and washed their feet. His conversation with them was intimate and honest. He said, if you follow me, if you obey me, you are my friends. Father, Son and Holy Spirit will come and make their home with you. The warmth, the power, the insight, the truth of God will come and live with you. Jesus tells them what society will do to them, how as his friends the world will never accept them. But he tells them that he will never leave them and will send the Holy Spirit on them, another comforter, to be with them forever. Not just God at your elbow, but God in your heart and soul. He tells them that his kingdom is not like this world. And if they follow him, then their society will be unlike this world too, because there are fellowship dimensions of discipleship. His kingdom will be characterised by love for each other, and this is non-negotiable. He specifically commanded it. It will be characterised too by humility and mutual submission, seriously considering your brothers and sisters to be better than you. No hierarchy, total dependence on our great friend Jesus, the vine, the branches. And then, as you might do with intimate friends, Jesus talks in some detail about his coming death and how it'll make them feel. And then he prays his high priestly prayer for them whilst he is still with them, commending them to his father, his friends. 
because this is what discipleship is like. It's fellowship with God the Father who runs to you and throws his arms around you when you've monumentally messed up and come back to him. And he doesn't mind who sees it, nor will he have any sour grapes from other people about it. A real excellent father. God the Son, who became what we are, so that we could be something of what he is. And God the Spirit, living in you, who knows every last nook and cranny of your soul. The passage we read together earlier from John 21. Next slide, please. That's seen by Lake Galilee after the resurrection, when Jesus came to his disciples and had breakfast with him. We're so grateful to John's gospel, which makes us privy to that conversation. And several of these themes we've been talking about actually come out in Jesus's last discipling talk with them. He restores Peter, who was pretty sure he could never be forgiven or restored. Jesus simply asks three times, Peter, do you really love me? Peter, amazed and a bit sad, says yes three times. Jesus says to him, follow me. Jesus has just told Peter that he would die a martyr's death. Peter looks around him, perhaps a little panicky, sees John and asks Jesus, what about him? And the Lord effectively says to him, none of your business. You must follow me. You see, following the Lord Jesus is not something you do just when you first become a Christian. It's something you choose every day, in every circumstance. Looking at what other believers do may well be helpful, but you must follow Christ. Taking your cue from Christian culture in general might even have its points, but you must follow Christ. And then do you notice sheep creep back in again? Jesus appoints Peter as under-shepherd in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, my sheep need feeding. Go and do it, Peter. Three times. Jesus cares so much for his sheep. That's you and I. His heart is with us. He plans for us. He protects us. He feeds us. And I want to take this moment, too, to say thank you. Thank you to the under-shepherd of shepherds of this flock here at Cairns Road. My brothers and sisters, you do well. Thank you. Jesus wants to live out our lives in the plans, the love and the company of your Saviour as his friend, his yoke part partner and his intimate. He wants us to become what he planned us to be and to be like him. And it will be different for each of us. We are a people of cross and crown. We go where the Lord leads. Peter, as you know, became an astonishingly effective preacher and evangelist. To his own surprise, I think, he actually led the first outreach to the Gentiles. He healed as Jesus had done. He cast out demons as Jesus had done. He wrote several books of the Bible, two letters, and it's generally agreed that Mark, the gospel writer, got quite a lot of his material from Peter. And Peter did indeed seal his testimony with his blood. After the great fire in Rome, when Nero was looking for a scapegoat and decided to lay it all on the Christians in about AD 64, 
John, on the other hand, was quite different. This former son of thunder looked after Mary, Jesus's mother, probably in Ephesus. He settled down there, becoming pastor in God to the churches of the Revelation. He was an utterly different man from being with Jesus. He was famous for saying things like, little children, let us love one another, for love is of God. He wrote his gospel, a gospel different to the other three, full of spirituality and insight. He wrote the Revelation, a swirling and mysterious look into the future, pulling back the curtain, as it were, and showing us what's really happening in the background. He got exiled, as you know, just off the coast nearby on the small island of Patmos for the Lord Jesus. But he did get back to Ephesus. A man called Justin Martyr sat under his teaching and leading and became a great man of God. John died in Ephesus in his bed and is probably buried either there or on Patmos. No one is quite sure. Whatever it is for us, let's just remember the Lord's words. What is that to you? You must follow me.